So welcome to the Immersion Podcast. Uh, on the show today is uh, Chris Moeller from Orion. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. So I thought we would jump into something real quick. You would be you were the guy I wanted to ask last week this question anyways, and I saved it uh, for this. Oh, did boy. you see, did you look at the Lex Friedman uh, episode with Mark Zuckerberg? I did. I did. The uh, immersive interview, if you will. Yeah. So this is the episode of, of, of that where I have to eat crow for the rest of my life on Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Meta Horizons. What, uh, what, I mean, did that blow your mind or what? Maybe just tell, you, give your description of what you thought that episode was. Um, I'm just glad. I, my thought was it's about time they published it. Okay. Yeah, this is not, this, none of this stuff is new. Um, you know, the, the, it's a step, it's a journey, right? So I think new technology now is less about, um, less about adaptation or more about adaptation and less about adoption. Uh, it takes a long, long time to make something like this technology come to fruition. So I thought it was great to finally see that aha moment where two very famous people were in an emerging tech. Um, yeah. it was fascinating, fascinating. Yeah. I was shocked that and for people who haven't seen it, you should go check out the episode because it's uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Lex Friedman in the metaverse, but they did uh, 3D scans that are even better than your typical volumetric video. Uh, and those 3D scans were then uh, picked up by the headsets to where you had, I mean, really lifelike uh, depictions. I, I won't even call them avatars anymore, right? Those were... Those were better than photographic uh, uh, pictures of both Zuckerberg's and, and Lex's face with all of their facial expressions, the eyes. They got the eyes right, right? It was the, uh, it, it, it was the what do they call it, the uncanny valley, where it, it, it passed the uncanny valley test. And yes. I've never seen, without using a million-dollar volumetric capture rig, something that passes the uncanny valley test. So if, if you haven't seen it, it's worth looking at. Uh, but if that's going to be the future, uh, I think Apple's going to have a run for their money because uh, a $500 headset that could potentially do uh, that level of, of uh, facial uh, resolution uh, certainly opens up a whole new uh, avenue. Because, you know, I bitch all the time about Horizon's uh, Meta Horizons and the Weeble Wobbles, I called them. Uh, and it was interesting. It's like, it's cool, but it wasn't like, to me, it wasn't the killer app for it. And I thought, really, we've got to come farther than this. Yeah. And they really have been working on it. I was surprised. I would have thought that it would have been Apple that came out with something like that. But no, it looks like they're they're going to lead the way on this with a $500 headset. Uh as opposed to a $3,500 headset, in my opinion, that isn't even really going to do it. Well, so Mike, let me, let me offer you a different, um, maybe a different perspective on that too, a little bit. Okay. You know, the word is skeuomorphism. So if we yeah. have the ability to create a new world and live in a different world, um, why would we create the world that we already have? And right. I think that that might be the perspective or the big question mark that we're asking, right? So, Meta and Meta Horizons was all about exploration. 
Um, and it was never from the perspective of the human. It was from the perspective of the experience, right? The universal scene development, the avatar to avatar interaction. Um, whereas I think a little bit what Apple's trying to do more with, and I won't call it computer vision because it's not, is it's really just simulating the world that we already live in. Um, so I think that it's a really cool sort of question, right? There's, there's absolutely an opportunity for two sides to this one yeah. being an experiment or an exploration and it being fun, maybe not having legs and jetpacks is cool. Right. But if right. we have to be grown up in our work and we have to be buttoned up in our work and we need to look exactly like we do in real life, well then maybe there'll be another use case for that, that, um, skeuomorphism to create exactly what we have in real life virtually. Yeah. I mean, that's possible. And, and I think there's room for all of that and everything yeah. in between, just like there is, you know, there's room for video games and there's room for film on yep. the, you know, absolutely. It's, it's, it's sometimes you want it like that. Um, but I guess, I guess I don't really know what the term uncanny Valley actually means. I'm probably saying it wrong, but it feels like it really passes that test of this yeah. isn't creepy. It isn't, it, you know, it was like, it was a, it was a, a killer moment for me because it wasn't creepy. It mm -hmm. was just, it, it, it was real. I'm okay with like, I find it interesting, you know, you can put me in a spaceship somewhere as my background. I think that's kind of interesting and fun, but when it comes to faces, you know, and I, I like to, I like to see, you know, your eyes, right. Sure. I'm looking, I should be looking at my camera like this, but in reality, I'm looking at your face because I mm -hmm. want to see your reaction. I want to see what it's about. And I think that we as humans are doing that. And it's, it's amazing what they can do at this point. Uh, yeah, the, the, the capture of the humans. Yeah, the, the AI side of that, I think, is the Turing test, right? So yeah. how do you interact with a bot to a point where there's no distinction between whether it's human or not? Um, so I think the, the what fuels that, right? So if you have, the, if you have AI that can pass the Turing test. And then you have such yeah. an amazing codec driven, realistic expression of the human essence. You yeah. put the two of those together. I think that's what you determine as either beautiful or scary as hell. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's a strange, interesting psychological aspect to that, that it's hard to put a finger on yeah. what it really is about, but it's, it's uh, yeah, it's like we're evolving. And we have well, to did, how, how did, do we deal you, with that? Did you and I talk about Werner Vinge in the '90s? He, he, the technological singularity. That's a deep yeah. conversation, but that's sure. it's kind of you know arguably where we are, right? We're past Moore's law. We're past centralized processing units and graphical processing units. We're into neural processing. We're into cognitive computing, and when you get to cognitive computing, you get to computer vision because it has a, a very, very robust um, digital nervous system, and. Mm -hmm there's the virtual version and then there's the realistic version. So I think computer vision, um, I hope that computer vision isn't controlled by one company. I hope that computer vision is a decentralized concept as right. a general purpose technology, because right. um, I think if it's centralized, that might become a pretty serious conversation. I think right. if bits and parts of it are, that's okay. But as a whole, I hope it's decentralized. Yeah. It's very, you know, uh, uh facial recognition as of right now, centralized facial recognition gets a bad rap as it should. Um, but I do believe that it is crucial to, uh, you know, all of society for us to have uh, open source 
access to all this too, not just for technological advancement, but just for just society in general. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that that's the future really, I think is in validation, right? And verification. There's, there's some new software that we've been playing with blockchain technology. It's proof of humanity, right? So, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's going to be kind of interesting. You got these verifies, which we see like on X with Twitter, verified accounts and LinkedIn starting to do that with clear, um, clear being the same company that you see at the airports that, that validates and verifies your identification. But I think that having those mechanisms for self-sovereign ID be decentralized is going to be really important mm-hmm. um, because otherwise, if you can't validate or verify, or if, a, if a, an agent can't validate, validate or verify your proof of humanity, the, the bots are going to be really, really good. I mean, they already are. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've seen bots that, that feel like they passed the test and uh, they don't, thankfully, uh, but um, proof of humanity ver- verification and validation, I think, is going to be the next at least three to five years should be central yeah. to most core businesses. It's critical. I feel like we've been doing we've been talking about that for 20 years. Um, you know, decentralized identity is a problem that I don't know is solved or certainly isn't solved in a universe. There's so there's a lot of great ideas about it. Um, but I think we have such a, a fight between the establishment based on what they uh, consider to be identity uh, and what they use it for versus the decentralized uh, communities of communities. Um, you know, where is that going? Um, it's, a, it's a big fight. It's a dog fight right now. I think that's the biggest fight, even more so than cryptocurrency, is digital identity and who mm-hmm. should own it, who should be the arbiter of it. Yeah. And, and I mean, at the end of the day, who should own it? I think that's going to be a huge question. Um, but some of the, some of the interesting things behind, you know, self-sovereignty is maybe it should just be with me. Maybe I should. Yeah. Own it. Right. And um, if enough of us are aware of that and we can be a market shaper, I think it should follow you. We were talking about this with electronic medical records. Why should the portal be a portal, be a portal? Like, I was at, had this conversation with my wife this weekend, was log into the portal. Well, she was like, which portal, right? So even, even electronic medical records have, have, be, have lost their interoperability. There is no single yeah. system of records. So shouldn't our EMRs follow, our, follow us yeah. um, rather than our EMRs being in a centralized database and location that allows a call and a put from an API? I believe they should. I believe that they should be with us. We don't have that mechanism yet, but I think that's a easy visualization tool to, to for people to think about. Yes, that probably should be in my wallet, so to speak. Yeah, that's my information. Yeah. Agreed. I think Doc Searles, with you know the Clue Train Manifesto, he's been uh, still working on that at Harvard, even uh, mostly from a non-medical record perspective, but the same kind of a thing instead of. Uh, you know, like a customer relationship management system, it's the inverse of that. Why shouldn't I have my information and choose who I release it to, not have 50,000 copies of my identity splintered around where they control it and own it? I should own my identity and choose who gets access to it, who sees it. Um, You know, I think that can only be done in a decentralized way, you know, but your point about sovereignty Right. Is that's the that's the conversation I think we have to have now in, you know, the whole planet, you know, and that was going on back in the 90s with uh, the sovereign individual. And, you know, they were they were they were 
talking about this in the 90s as it was in the future. But here we are from, you know, 1993-ish to 2023, uh, and we're still we're still sort of talking about it. So maybe, you know, go, can you tell us a little bit more about your take on, on where you think that sovereignty is at this point? You know, we said earlier, we, we touched on the singularity. You know, where are we at before we even can figure out if we're where we're at in the singularity? Where are we at on, on personal sovereignty? Has it gotten worse or has it gotten better or both yeah, at the same time? That's heady, Mike. Um, I, uh, so my gut, obviously this wasn't pre-planned. My gut is it's gotten worse. My gut is okay. that our terms of use and our understanding of terms of use and our understanding of privacy policies have gotten way worse. Yeah. We don't care. We click and move forward. You know, I mean, yeah. I took, uh, I took, I won't use, I won't tell you exactly whose it was, but I took, um, a terms of use policy that referenced a privacy policy or terms of use agreement that referenced a privacy policy. Um, and I cross-referenced them and brought it into Claude too. And I prompted it that I was concerned about this company ultimately having my medical records. And I asked it specifically to pay attention to third-party agreements and who they could share information with. And I asked it to make a recommendation. It read 268 pages and cross-referenced both the terms of use and the privacy policy. And it said, absolutely under no circumstances should you use this product. <laughs> oh, and here we are. And here we are. And 268 pages of anything. It's a huge product. It's a, yeah. it's an awesome product that can tell you more about yourself. And it's all, you know, so to me, self-sovereignty is, is the awareness to do that. Maybe mm -hmm. is to ask the terms of use and the privacy policy against your concern. To me, that felt it's like I had that power. I felt I felt, so I felt my own sovereignty in making that decision. Now I was bummed because my my notion that they would likely eventually sell or you know they go through an M and A acquisition or sell off a business unit that could sell off that information to an insurance company um, ended up being true. But the awareness of that, I don't think most people are even paying attention in terms of use and privacy. They want to get right. straight to the product and. They want to tweet or they want to post or they want to share some information on a platform. And right. if it's, if it's free and that's in the way, it's just in the way. Um, so I think we're maybe a little worse. Maybe if you ask me tomorrow, I'll feel better about that. Yeah. Or it's possible that everything you just said is true. And in that respect, we are worse. And maybe we're also better in some respects. Uh, you know, but it's like, who is the arbiter of this? You know, we see GDPR. And all I wound up doing, in my opinion, was make make me have to click on a pop up on every website and make everywhere. Exactly. And who cares about cookies? Like that's the least of our problems. least of my concerns. You know, you're talking about 263 pages of uh, of uh, agreement that you've signed legally that can basically uh, know everything there is to know about you, and nobody cares about that. And it's like, is it a head fake where they're just like, don't don't have this, you know, this cookie to, to determine if you're logged in or not. God forbid it, uh, it, it cross-references your session and with, uh, you know, recommends that you buy a, a tennis shoe or something. Mm -hmm. And and people think that that's valid. They're worried about cookies, but they're not worried about what you just described, which is hideous, you know. And, and, and if you think about uh, what, uh, what, you know, governments or corporations, you know, I'm not so worried about them, but, you know, you worry about uh, 
social credit scores and how that could impact that or how that gets impacted by your uh, your credit score, you know, that's a huge, huge, huge problem. Yeah. You know, how do how do we, how, you know, as a society, how do we go about fixing that now? You know, what's the what's what has to happen to get people to to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, maybe there's a different way. Yeah, it falls falls to me. It falls back on just the, the, that awareness piece, right? Sounds so cliche that education, you know, exposure and education, I think, are are a real good anecdote to um, to that issue, right? The more we understand, the more we learn, the more we're aware, the more we might be able to ask that question or to be curious around what could the impetus behind the product be. And I think that that's where. You know, when, when, when we talk about ESG professionally, at least in commercial real estate, everybody kind of goes to plastics first and trees, right? Because everybody gets hung up on environmental. But I think if we take a broader context of environmental and think about social governance, mm-hmm. that that becomes maybe a, a little bit different of a, of a conversation. Maybe if we start to use self-sovereign ID at the workplace, maybe if there's a digital wallet that has, you know, better understanding for payment structures and maybe your 401ks in there, your insurance is in there, your insurance cards in your wallet, you know, your credit cards in your wallet. So maybe it starts there at the workplace where, where you get paid and where your health insurance live. Maybe that starts to create some awareness along with some L and D models inside of ESG. Um, just is anybody thought. doing that? Uh, no, not that I know of. Um, but it's not, it's, it's not completely out of the realm. Right. So I'm sorry. Is anybody doing a protocol for that yet? Uh, I haven't seen it. Um, I haven't seen it. I think we're still at, we're seeing, um, the, the learning, we're seeing different L and D models, learning and development models. And I think we're, we're seeing different loyalty models. We're seeing, um, um, loyalty kind of cross into the workplace now, um, which is kind of you know, pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. But there has to be a way to compensate loyalty or recognize right. loyalty. So if we just look at that through tokenomics, that can be fairly easy, right? You can get a token right. or a badge for something, but that has to go into a wallet. So again, that, that accessibility piece is huge. How do you how do you get to someone seamlessly without all the obstacles? And that's what's so hard right. about Web3, right? Is that it generally takes a, you have to hold your mouth just right with a sunny day and you have to know right. the keystrokes and not forget your seed phrase, and, you know, all the things yeah. that make it great, it's make it difficult to use. It's difficult. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, the workplace is a great place to start with that. Uh, if it's portable, um, you know, and maybe uh, it's been a while since I've talked about, some, you know, this concept of the loyalty program uh, as, as a, a, the beginning point for self-sovereign identity. But that seems like it's that's the lowest hanging fruit, and maybe it's not the lowest hanging fruit, but it seems like it's the least amount of risk mm-hmm. for uh, a, you know if a company an employer is going to introduce something like that into it. It seems like it's the least amount of risk uh, to start with something like that. If you had something like a loyalty program that was portable, it was a protocol that uh, helps people start to get a, uh, a portable identity that was decentralized. Mm-hmm. That might be that might be the great the great point there. You should probably do that. Yeah, well, that tomorrow. It, like, I I mean, look, it, it's it's definitely been mentally modeled, right? The modules are already in place. The the systems already exist. The protocols already there. 
we can take we can take a page from the gaming industry, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it's robust. It's been proven. It works. And if it's not a security, um, right. that was the biggest issue, right? Is thank goodness we didn't build this out six, 10 months ago, because if uh, SBF taught us anything, if these were considered securities, we, I don't know how we would have gone backwards. But if right. it's more utility uh, and closed market and not a security that passes yeah. through, um, it's more of a smart contractor and NFT, then I think we start to go down that path of, of really kind of gaining some traction. And it's, I think it's loyalty. I think it's contribution. I think it's recognition. Uh, all three of those sort of add up for me. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's the, uh, those three things you wind up with, uh, a, a use case that makes it easy for people to start to figure out how to use their own personal wallet and hold, hold those pieces of data together. Um, and make some mistakes where you're not going to lose your entire, uh, retirement portfolio in there. Um, you know, if you forget your seed phrase or something, um, <laughs> and maybe that's, maybe that's some training wheels for grandma type of a thing. Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, I use my bond boy points, right? Um, I try uh, not to let those go. I use my American, uh, express points. I try not to let those go. Um, so, you know, if, if you could build up this tool to yeah. incentivize people to not only pay attention to it, but then to take advantage of turning it back in, you know, for a day off or, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, I just think yeah. that there's an entire incentive program policy that might be easy to get to through that perspective that to your point is not um, super suspect uh, on the risk category level. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you still have to get, you know, there has to be some obvious value proposition there, but the, the, the even if the risk is small uh, in a sense of that, it would result in something negative happening. It's the, totality of that perception is huge uh, in some companies where they don't want to get involved with something like that. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's, that's got a lot of potential. You yeah. Know, it, 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 we might be in a, uh, you know, another multi-decade long, uh, uh, process of trying to get people onboarded into something decentralized. Um, but it seems like it's sped up in the last couple of years where people started to realize that, Hey, maybe, Maybe we should we should be taking some kind of ownership of this. Yeah, I think so. I think as people start to understand the, the functionality of NFTs and smart contracts um, and the persistence, you know, and interoperability of them, I yeah. think that I think that we're gonna and I think that's gonna happen relatively quickly. I mean, it's very easy for us to make that distinction with currency, right? So at peer-to-peer -peer exchange and and how currency can be uh, persistent. How once right. I give it to you, you can give it to someone else, both Wonderful. fractionally or wholly. Um, you know, the terms of a contract can follow that same exact path, right? You know that, I know that. So can the terms of a loyalty program. So, but that mechanism, that, that self-sovereignty, the choice, the decision to do that without a third party, um, you know, that's foreign to people because we're right. so used to, we're so used to intermediates or additional agents yeah. in the mix that it's third party then in there again it's third yeah. party so and they sell it because they they make a lot of uh you know that's their gig that's their job mm -hmm. uh so you know is a loyalty program or a loyalty points are those fungible or, or non-fungible i mean i think they're non-fungible i mean they can be convertible but i think they're non-fungible 
you know, uh-huh. I, I think, you know, that now you're talking about really having a cool job, right? Coming yeah. up with the value behind this whole marketplace. Right. You know, I think that would be awesome to be sort of the overlord of that, right? Where right. you have you the market is going to determine its own value as time goes on, but you have to set that first seed. We're in, yeah. you know, Sumer and you grew your first year of corn that was extra, <laughs> you know, right. like you didn't die that year. And, you know, there was one extra year. It's like, what's that worth? Um, it's worth a lot. Wow. It's worth wow. a lot. That's pretty heavy. You yeah. got to grow that first, that first year of seed corn. Yeah. Like what's that worth? Right. Then all of a yeah. sudden, you know, you, you might've figured out your agricultural processes, which is going to create new market conditions. So right. I think that's really where we are is the marketplace in web three as broken and cold as it feels is actually probably more put together than it ever has been, you yeah. know, between, OpenSea and ENS and all the new chains that are coming out, um, you know, and, and, and people's understanding for how those work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that the market is just now getting to a point where it's starting to be truly established and tried. So this next run up, I think we're going to see a lot more market activity than we did last time. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I'm just, my head's swimming right now with different ideas for how you create a, uh, and it's, you know, how, I guess my question is if you, if you had a protocol for that and you were going to create a, a corporate uh, decentralized loyalty program, how would you keep that? Uh, what, you know, how do you, how do you define that as uh, having utility? Um, well, I mean, again, it's, it would be a closed system, right? So it wouldn't make sense to you and you and I, if we didn't have access to, the chain or the system. Okay. So it, it wouldn't have exterior influence for utility. Um, mm-hmm. It would, it would be, you know, the, where I envision it is when you have 150,000 employees across the world, uh, you know, at the end of the at the end of your 10 years in America, you get a magazine or a website that says, put this number in and spits you out a loyalty token mm-hmm. in a watch or a, a yeah. trophy or a vacuum cleaner. Right. You can shop in a marketplace for that. Um, I just see that as a much more robust opportunity to reinvest in your employees. Nobody wants the watch or the vacuum cleaner. They all want recognition. They want um, time off. Um, They want more flexibility and freedom to work from different places. They want wellness. They want they want different. The things that they want now are different. Um, So wouldn't it be cool if we could create that unique experience? That was, was it compensation. I think so. I think you know that's for the that's for the lawyers and the accountants to figure out because across yeah. industries, across countries, across states, I don't know if it can be considered compensation or if it's just value benefit. Yeah. Or if you it's know? just attaboys. I mean, if you're collecting attaboys, is that really well, you know? And if you can't turn that into a blender, I guess it really isn't. Yeah, so we were we were talking about this the other day when you show up, uh, you know, in a video game and you're a badass. Well, no yeah. one really knows it's Mike or Chris, but they know your name, your game name, your avatar, and they yeah. look at your accomplishments. You know, yeah. they can see who you are before they know who you are. Yeah, so it's a better digital resume, right? It's like Mike walks in the room and the air comes out of the room because he's got like seventy four badges and fifty eight stars, and he's got a hundred ninety right. nitro. Yeah. Right, and he's, like, thir- and he's thirteen and a half years old. <laughs> well, we don't maybe don't know because you're an avatar, right? But it doesn't right. matter because your work speaks for itself. 
right? Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if it, if it becomes a more anonymized experience. Um, you know, I don't know. They're, they're, I took a course um, last year at University of Nicosia, which was a fully NFT course on the metaverse. And, you know, my instructor was an avatar, mm-hmm. um, a name um, and a number. That was it. And, a, and an NFT picture. So I never met him, um, but he taught me a shit ton. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I, and I guess it's a him. The voice was, was digitally altered to make it sound like a male voice. But at the end of the day, um, there, there was no question in my mind at the end of that course that there was proof of humanity. And, um, you know, I studied under his direction and it was an amazing experience. So that's um, interesting. You know, that's the psychological part of uh, proof of humanity. You know, it's, uh, it's a fascinating, uh, aspect to it. Yeah. I think, I think we're going to have to, uh, put a pin in that idea and then have to come back and maybe follow up on it on another episode. That was, uh, that's something I think, uh, that, uh, you know, is, is, we should it should be made it should be yeah so i I don't think any episode uh, with this kind of discussion can happen without understanding a little bit more about bitcoin too with post taproot bitcoin um you know and and satoshis and and ordinals you know and inscriptions um you know i think that's so new um tap script or whatever it's called i think it's called tap script um, you know, and how you can inscribe an ordinal on a Satoshi, a Satoshi being the penny of the dollar, you know, yeah. the smallest exchange or the smallest uh, denomination, for lack of a better term. But I think what's amazing about that whole journey in study is that ordinals are about time and order. They're not about money and quantity. So it's not one, two and three. It's first, second and third. Right. Um, and the idea of uh, being able to capture, you know, ordinal provenance, I guess, is the word that they call it, the beginning of an idea and inscribe the beginning of an idea is no different than what we do with the USPTO for intellectual property, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, provenance of an idea uh, in an immutable ledger is absolutely... the, that just democratizes intellectual property for for the masses. It's easy to say that you've got the patent for something when you've got millions of dollars or billions of dollars and the lawyers to do it. But the reality is how many people have been run over uh, with that who you know invented the light bulb, but <clears throat> we couldn't we could there's no easy way for immutable provenance to be uh, determined. You know mm-hmm. how many engineering journals are out there that uh, would disprove uh, some common uh, patent that everybody has. You know, if you put those on the blockchain, as uh, as you said, an ordinal provenance detection uh, that was immutable, that sure would be great for uh, for people's pocketbooks. Yeah, it sure would, and it would also upend a lot of um, judicial governance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because maybe that's, be maybe that's why about. they don't want it. You know, that's for sure. First, you know, all the lawyers. Yeah, something that. that yeah. I don't, I don't know what happens there. I guess there just becomes some different work, but that's why I've been enjoying um, paying attention to that, especially with uh, ordinal provenance of ideas, you know, yeah. and, and how IP is going to change when we have global provenance and, and an immutable blockchain, something that you can point to. I try to write my thinking 
in Mirror XYZ. It's a decentralized application that runs on the Optimist blockchain. And the reason I do that is not to sell and mint my, my work at all, although I do a limited edition of two every time I write. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's to, it's to mark that provenance, right? It's to, it's, to, it's to capture that and just to be able to say, well, you know, I didn't just erase the date and go back five years and publish it again. You know, this is, this is something that's immutably hashed to the blockchain. I've been doing that for two and a half years. Whether it's right or wrong, it's irrelevant. I think it's good digital exhaust, you know? Yes, yes. Well, those multiple use cases have made this episode worth its weight in gold. We'll have to pick up uh, the next time on a few more of them. But uh, that was enjoyable. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on today, Chris. Yeah, Mike. Thanks a bunch for having me. Let's 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 put a pin in these and.